This Climate One podcast is sponsored by General Motors. How will we power our future? Can we create a healthy and clean economy? Climate One at the Commonwealth Club is at the forefront of the global debate about energy, economy, and the environment. Bringing together the brightest and most provocative leaders of our time, Climate One is the place where big ideas get heard. With thoughtful and insightful discussions on policy, business, science, and culture, Climate One founder Greg Dalton gets to the heart of the matter. It's our future. It's time to come together. I'm Greg Dalton, and today on Climate One, we're talking about Pope Francis, who will bring his climate crusade to the United States in a few days. The popular pontiff will be the first pope ever to address a joint session of Congress, and only the third to visit the White House, where he will enjoy a private audience with President Obama. Earlier this year, Pope Francis issued an encyclical on climate change and inequality that caused quite a stir across the country. His message takes aim at our culture of consumerism and the devaluing of nature. He calls for the world to move away from coal and oil without delay. Pope Francis also takes a swing at unfettered capitalism and technology as root causes of an ecological and moral crisis. He doesn't mince words, this pope. Politicians were swift to push back. Rick Santorum said the church should leave science to the scientists. Jeb Bush said, quote, I don't get economic advice from my bishops or my cardinal or my pope, end quote. Over the next hour, we will talk about Pope Francis, the morality of fossil fuels, the importance of what he calls little daily actions, and the national politics of reducing carbon pollution that is amplifying, I said amplifying, not causing, the droughts and heat waves hitting the American West. Here to discuss all this with our live audience at the Commonwealth Club, we have the Reverend Canon Sally Bingham, an Episcopal priest and president and founder of Interfaith Power and Light, a religious response to climate disruption. Sam Licardo is mayor of San Jose, California, who traveled to Rome recently to participate in a climate meeting of the Pontifical Academy of Sciences. And Father Paul Fitzgerald is president of the University of San Francisco, a Jesuit educator who will share his thoughts on the first Jesuit pope. Please welcome them to Climate One. Welcome to all of you. Uh, Paul Fitzgerald, tell the story of Pope Francis, who he is, where he came from. There's been a lot written about this pope, but people may not really know that he was different before than he is now. Uh, Jorge Mario Bergoglio uh, was born of Italian immigrant parents in Argentina, grew up, became a Jesuit at a very young age, and then at a very young age was promoted to be provincial superior of the Jesuits in the Argentinian province. And as he reflects back later, uh, he was too young and too inexperienced. uh, And so he ruled uh, with a pretty firm, if not an iron hand. Uh, He was novice master, he was provincial, uh, he was director of formation. So he rotated around various positions of authority and responsibility. It was during the time of the generals and the dirty war in Argentina. People were being disappeared by the police, people were being killed. Um, And so it was a very difficult time for the Jesuits and and for the church as a whole. Uh, He later became Archbishop of Buenos Aires. And if you read his uh, stuff, he's conservative, uh, very orthodox, very much in line with the thinking of uh, Pope John Paul II and and Pope Benedict. And when he was elected Pope... um, uh, it may be like some uh, Republican presidents who appoint a Supreme Court justice and then are a bit surprised um, 
by how this person begins to rule uh, once she is on the bench. And <laughs> we have seen uh, in these last few years a magnificent soul. Um, we call it the grace of office. Uh, he is kind. He is generous. He is welcoming. He has washed the feet of Muslim women. He's doing all kinds of what I would call symbolic prophetic actions to ask the church and the world to think again about us being one human family. Sally Bingham, what has been the impact of Pope Francis outside the Catholic Church, other faith tradition? Well, I've been working for 15 years on a religious response to global warming, and we've been ta- all of our preachers and teachers have been talking about the moral responsibility that individuals have towards the future. We've talked about um, individual action. We've talked about trying to influence politics, but particularly the the moral responsibility that we have for the generations that come after us. So to have Pope Francis get in his pulpit and say the same thing, you know, it's been an amazing boost to the entire religious community because our group, which is interfaith, We are with Jews and Muslims and Christians of all kinds, and um, we have Jains and Hindus and Sheikhs, and they're all been working for all these years to try to implement change in terms of how the U.S. responds to the climate problem. And with the Pope coming out, giving a statement that was essentially for all people of conscience, not just for Roman Catholics, we are exalted. I mean, everyone is just um, jumping on this message to say, see, we told you so. <laughs> <laughs> Pope says that it must be true. Uh, and Sally Bingham, also, there's some lapsed Catholics. Tell us about uh, a couple that wanted you to marry them. Oh, this was very funny. It happened recently. Um, about three weeks ago, I got a call from a young man who wanted to be married at the Fairmont Hotel. And couldn't find um, a priest to go to the Fairmont and marry him. And would I do that? And I said, yes, I I marry people on the beach and I marry people in the Muir Woods. And and he talked to me for a little while and then he said, you know, um, I think my wife might have some difficulty with this too, but I'll let you know. And, And three weeks went by. And I never heard from him again. And then I got an email, and it said, we've decided to be married by a Catholic priest. Thank you very much for your help. And it was pretty much over. In two days, I got a telephone call from the bride-to-be. The fiancé called, and she said, you know, we love Pope Francis. And and we might even um, get back into the Catholic Church. So, but while they're doing this, they're trying to find a Catholic priest who will go to the Fairmont and marry them, but but they couldn't find one. So they have rehired me. (laughs) So I'm now going to the Fairmont to marry this couple, but they also think that they may start going back to church largely because of Pope Francis. So you got hired, fired, and rehired. Okay, that's right. Yeah. (laughs) Sam McCarter, you went to this big meeting of mayors in the Vatican in in the Pope did this very deliberately, calling on mayors as an important area for action on climate change. So what did you learn there? What happened? Well, it's been pretty exciting to be there. It was exciting. It was a real privilege for me, and I'm, I'm a big fan of this Pope. So it was certainly doubly uh, a great opportunity. Uh, we were, I was one of about 65 mayors or so from around the world 
to join this meeting. Uh, it was a great opportunity, certainly, for me to learn from other mayors of large cities that are out there innovating, uh, doing very creative things to try to move uh, the needle uh, in reducing greenhouse gas emissions and, and protecting the environment. Uh, so from that standpoint, just professionally, it was certainly a lot of fun and exciting, but certainly the opportunity to, to hear from uh, Pope Francis. Uh, we're, a group of us had an audience for about 30 minutes, and he spoke in Spanish, and that meant I understood maybe two-thirds of it, but it was good enough for me. So pretty cool. <laughs> Um, one of the key tenets of his encyclical is integral ecology. So, Paul Fitzgerald, tell us about that and how new that is, what it means. Integral ecology is one of the key uh, philosophical touchstones of Pope Francis' encyclical. Uh, since the 1890s, the Catholic Church, uh, Roman Catholic Church has had a series of encyclical letters that come out from various popes, starting with Leo XIII. And all of them, and this uh, Laudato Si by Pope Francis is the most recent in a long string of letters that each one builds on the last one. And they're based on a profound and fundamental insight that our religious convictions should inform every aspect of our life, including our relationships with those whom we love, our participation in our city, in our church, in our world, and that everything is connected. This comes back again and again and again throughout the uh, encyclical, La Data Si. Everything is connected. And there's so much of modern life and Western culture that is vociparous. It's vociparous. Everything gets broken into small pieces, and we think of our lives in these very small, discrete compartments. You know, with this group of people, I behave this way. With this group of people, I behave that way. When I'm at work, I dress this way. When I'm at home, I dress a different way. And the danger is we become really schizophrenic. We're divided into so many different personas. And what the Pope is calling us to is simply to be profoundly persons of integrity, and to close the largest gap ever measured by human beings, the 14 inches between the heart and the brain, so that what we know in our hearts, <laughs> deep down, we, know, we can never lie to ourselves in our hearts. Uh, with our brains alone, we can make up all kinds of excuses and rationales for any kind of bad behavior. Um, but what we know in our hearts and then what we understand with our minds, what we say with our words and what we do with our hands should all be the same thing. And, and so the way we inhabit this planet with, the, with all the human persons, and he keeps calling us back to a care for the poor, um, but also then care for the other living beings and care for the ecosystems, that's integral ecology, but it's just an integrated human existence. Sally Bingham, one of the phrases in the encyclical says, quote, many things have to change course, but it is, it is we human beings, above all, who need to change. He's asking us to do some hard work, every individual. Every individual, and I think that he has invited us um, into the communion of life, that we are all part of a one big universe, and every one of our behaviors affects our neighbors who we're called to love whether it's the coffee we drink or the clothes we wear or the energy we use, um, every single thing we do affects another person and the planet. Sam Licardo, how do you actually implement this in a, in a city? We're running a big city. You know, what does this mean? So you're, I mean, most politicians don't ask their voters to change. They say, like, you're going to deliver something, right, to do this yes. work. That's and, a most voters would regard me as being the person on the stage with the least moral authority. Uh, to, to, to change. But, you know, building on, on Sally's point, you know, 
the Pope is not suggesting that this is a technological problem that needs a technological fix. Uh, he's talking about an adaptive problem that requires a complete shift in cultural paradigm, a, a revolution of sorts in, in how we think and, and, and act in our, in our daily lives. And so that's not an easy sell uh, in politics. Uh, and you know, it's, he's not looking for us to come out with the solution of spending more money on, say, uh, carbon sequestration and just solving this issue. Uh, I think the question is, how can we, as community leaders, engage our community in actually doing the much harder work of understanding the extraordinary lifestyle shift that's required here. Big lifestyle shift. In fact, when Paul Fitzgerald says connectedness, use connectedness in Silicon Valley, and it means something totally different. Yes. Right? It means, where's my Wi-Fi, and why don't I have it? Right? And perhaps Pope, the opposite. Yes. Right? <laughs> and, and Pope Francis comes out pretty strong uh, challenging the, sort of the cult of technology. And Mayor Licardo, you run the city that's the heart of Silicon Valley. He's taken a swing at Exxon and Apple. Yes, yes, yes. In, in, in perhaps an extreme view, you might say, I'm the mayor of Sodom in that sense. But the uh, <laughs> reality is, uh, you know, we, we recognize that it, there's not simply a technological path out here. Uh, at the same time, uh, I, I'm a mayor. I happen to have a bit of a bias in favor of technology. <laughs> I, I think there's a lot we can do. And certainly, for example, if we're going to retrofit a city that's been built around the automobile to one that's, city that's built around people, that technology is going to help. And uh, there are things we can do, certainly, to, to help with that transition. Uh, but uh, that doesn't take anything away from the fundamental truth that I think Pope Francis has hit here, which is um, this is a moral issue. Uh, it's, it's, it's really, this is a symptom of something far greater, and we all need to take a closer <coughs> look at ourselves. Paul Fitzgerald, you run a university that's full of technology-addicted students, probably. You know, how do they square this challenge of technology with their daily life and culture? So the University of San Francisco, we have about 11,000 undergraduate and graduate students, um, 1,200 full and part-time faculty, and another 1,200 full and part-time staff folks. So we're a small town compared to San Jose, California. We're a very small town. But we've made the pledge as a university campus to be carbon neutral by the year 2050. And we are well on our way. We're well below our, we're bigger than we've ever been and you know, below our 1997 carbon footprint. So part of it is uh, we've just opened an office of campus sustainability and we have a person in the middle who's talking to facilities and to our faculty and to student life so that we offer a holistic education by example as well as you know, we have wonderful faculty in the classroom teaching on climate policy, teaching on, you know, what are the technological fixes? Um, you know, Pope Francis is not a Luddite. He's not asking us to go back to the, uh, back to the, the, the uh, pre-industrial revolution. At the same time, he warns us very clearly that, you know, if, if in our great, great generosity and love, we wanted to bring the rest of the human population up to our level of, of consumption, we would kill the planet in a week. One North American is as much weight on the planet as 250 Somalis. So, you know, ours, here in North America, ours is not the normal, typical, common experience of human beings on the planet. The normal, typical experience of human beings on the planet is in a much, much poorer, much more modest much uh, more environmentally uh, fragile system. So how to address poverty without trashing the planet, Sally Bingham? 
<laughs> and 30 seconds to left. <laughs> but I think the issue of poverty is such an important one and for the faith community because the people that are hurt the most by this big subject that we're all talking about, which is climate change, are the poor people. They, are, they suffer the worst first. And that we as um, almost responsible for the destruction and the sea rise, and the droughts, and the wildfires, and the um, refugees that are having to move because of a lack of resources in their homes. We are the folks that, and I think this is what the Pope is calling on that maybe disturbs some folks, is that we have a moral responsibility to look after those folks, put up money for adaptation, put up money for mitigation, and help them develop... I mean, we can't, there are 300 million people in India who have no access to electricity. Now, we can't say, well, that's too bad. You can't have the electricity the way we've had it in the United States and Western Europe. But what we can do is subsidize some renewable energy for the places in the world that maybe don't have to go through first coal and then oil and then fracking, um, (laughs) that we could help out with with renewable energy to start with, just the way many people in India have cell phones now, but they've never had a landline. Mm -hmm. Now, perhaps Mm -hmm. we can go with wind and sun and help them do it, though. They're not going to be able to do it on their own. So I think that we can um, certainly help the poverty situation by trying to supply the, the, the means to help these folks have electricity, have food, have water, through the generosity of the developed world. We're just joining us. Uh, Sally Bingham is president and founder of Interfaith Power and Light, a religious response to climate change. Other guests at Climate One today are Sam Licardo, mayor of San Jose, California, and Paul Fitzgerald, president of the University of San Francisco. I'm Greg Dalton. Uh, mayor Licardo, there's also poverty in America, poverty in Silicon Valley. There's a great uh, wealth gap in this country. It's probably the biggest issue in this country, along with climate. So what are you doing in San Jose to, to address that underclass? Uh, well, we're trying to do a lot. And the reality is there are larger uh, forces beyond the power of City Hall that really constrains what we're able to accomplish. Uh, last week, uh, announced that uh, we're trying to engage regionally with 15 cities and towns throughout the county to raise the minimum wage together uh, so we don't just have a patchwork of different rules. Uh, we've, last year and in prior years, we've passed various fees on housing development so that we can generate funds to build more affordable housing. Uh, you know, there's a host of these kinds of policies that we put out, and we think we're going to be able to help uh, a few hundred folks, maybe a few thousand folks at the margin. Uh, The reality is is that the gap between those who are prospering in this great boom and those who are being left behind is growing. And, you know, it may well be that more than half of us are the ones falling behind. And so uh, this gives us a certain moral imperative to think more deeply about what exactly we can do from a policy standpoint uh, to, to try to bridge that gap. Paul Fitzgerald, uh, Pope Francis is in his encyclical really goes after market capitalism, which is driving a lot of, a lot of what Mark, Sam Licardo just talked about. But first, tell us about Francis himself. He was quite a radical himself, you know, communed with flowers, perhaps the first flower child or hippie. You know. um, was it uh, Bernard loved the mountains, 
and Dominic the valleys, Francis the small towns, and Ignatius the big cities. So Jesuit University, we like big cities. Um, Francis of Assisi um, would go into little country churches and pick up a broom and sweep them out and clean them up. Uh, He would talk, he would preach to the flowers and to the the birds and to the wolf of Gubbio. Um, He had this profound sense that the divine was within and underneath and present in every living being and in every beautiful vista. And so brother, son, sister, moon, uh, he had a spirituality which was deeply Christian uh, and uh, what we would call in fancy theological language, um, panentheistic. So pantheism is that everything is God. Panentheism is that God is in everything. There is no human person where the spark of the divine is not within her soul. There is no living creature. There is no beautiful vista where, where this spirit of, of the divine is not uh, available to us to be encountered. Uh, what Pope Francis is doing is most of all, and, and Reverend Sally Bingham you know, said this earlier, Pope Francis is suggesting a spirituality. And, and that's where the letter really comes together in, in the closing chapters, is he, he's, he's suggesting a spirituality, a way of us understanding our relationship with God, with ourself, and with all of creation that is loving and that is joyful and that is fulfilling. Um, so many people these days, even with great wealth, you know, we become distracted by our devices. We walk into poles. We go to the emergency room because we hurt ourselves. Um, <laughs> kids, kids at, the, at my university, they're in the dorm room. They're back to back, and they're texting each other rather than just turning and talking. <laughs> and you know, this technology can divide us, and it can flatten out our lives. Uh, Adolfo Nicolás is the general superior of the Jesuits, based in Rome. And he's talked about the globalization of superficiality. The globalization of superficiality um, that comes with a poor appropriation of, these, of the wonderful possibilities that are contained in high technology. High technology can, can do a lot of good things for us, but it can also do some bad things to us if we're not mindful about what's most important. If you're just joining us, we're talking about Pope Francis and climate change. The Pope will come to the United States for the first time, his first time ever, learn from Paul Fitzgerald, uh, in a few days and address a joint session of Congress. I want to go now to our lightning round where we ask a couple of uh, yes or no questions to each uh, participant. That's starting tough with, on a politician. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Good. That's why we do it. Uh, <laughs> uh, Sally Bingham. Taking a trip to the Barrier Reef or to an Alaskan glacier to see it before it's destroyed is a selfish act that's not respectful of future generations. Yes or no? (laughs) (laughs) And I'll say, I've I've been to Alaskan glaciers recently on a ship spewing fossil fuel. And I went to the Great Barrier Reef to see it before it disappeared. I know, I didn't want to out you, but you decided yourself, so... No. (laughs) So, my answer is no. (laughs) Sam Licardo, uh, you were tempted to lift a souvenir when you went to the Vatican, yes or no? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but they had a lot of guards around the Sistine Chapel. So, you can do it. Okay. <laughs> Paul Fitzgerald, Pope Francis is repairing the Catholic brand after it was damaged by the systemic protection of predator priests. Yes. Should Catholic bishops who sheltered predator priests face more accountability? Yes. Sally Bingham, the rapture is coming. 
<laughs> no. <laughs> Paul Fitzgerald, a condom is a better tool than wind turbines or solar panels to steward creation and heal the climate. No, because it's not about overpopulation. It's about the unjust distribution of resources. And some people, I'm, I'm not, this is like, I'm, I, it's supposed okay. to be a yes or no question, but... I expected more than one word on this one. Yeah. <laughs> Again, you know, the folks in the, in the first world, us as individuals, we are such a greater weight on the planet than folks in the third world. Sam Licardo, stabilizing the climate will require sacrifice. Yes. How many politicians will say that? Paul Fitzgerald, Pope Francis should fear for his life. Yes. <laughs> It's a long, I looked on Wikipedia today. There's a long list of popes who've died under sus- suspicious circumstances. Uh, Sam Licardo, politicians and business executives who deny that fossil fuels are disrupting the climate should repent. <laughs> yes, but it's easy for me to say I'm a Democrat. <laughs> Last one, Paul Fitzgerald. Jews who admire the pope can respectfully call him Rabbi Francis. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right, how do they do on the lightning round? <laughs> and now, here's a Climate One Minute. Is Pope Francis a game changer? Former EPA chief Bill Riley had an audience with the pontiff earlier this year. When he joined us back in June, Riley said that this pope would be going far beyond what was expected from the Vatican and that his statement would have significant impact on the arguments against climate change. I think the surprise is that his message is on several planes. It's on the plane, certainly, of theology and morality. It also gets very close to the realm of policy and action. It calls out people who uh, are not accepting climate and change and, and suggests that indifference or excessive belief in a technical solution or or um, just opposition to uh, science is unacceptable on a a moral plane. That's very consequential, I think. That was Bill Riley, former EPA chief under the first President Bush and a member of Climate One's advisory board. Now back to Greg Dalton and his guests at the Commonwealth Club. We're talking at Climate One about Pope Francis uh, with our guests Sally Bingham, Sam Licardo, and Paul Fitzgerald. Uh, Sally Bingham, the Muslim leadership recently came out with the first unified call on climate change. What did they say, and what's the significance of that? Well, the significance is that most of the religions, whether they're evangelical, Christian, Roman Catholic, the Catholic bishops, uh, rabbis, the Jewish community has come out, all saying we need climate control and to cut carbon emissions. The Muslims have never done this. They've never um, had a statement where uh, several imams were in agreement and where it was an official Muslim statement. So it means a lot to the community, the entire interfaith community, to have the Muslims on board with the rest of us. And it, and it is quite significant. And when, the, the Pope, when Pope Francis comes to Washington, D.C. in a few days, you're going to speak on the National Mall. Tell us about what's going to happen there. When he's meeting with Congress, there's some, something going on outside. 
Well, the exciting thing that I get to do is be on the White House lawn when the Pope arrives. <laughs> uh, when he meets Obama the day before, he does the joint session of Congress. But what's going on outside, and they're expecting between 200 and 500,000. Hold on, 000. is there going to be a papal helicopter? Are we going to see, a, does he have a helicopter? There's going to be, he's going to be um, amplified on the, on the Congress wall. Okay, wow, okay. Uh, <laughs> And then he apparently is coming out to talk to the somewhere between 200,000 and 500,000 people who will gather on the mall, and they're having a rally. And there are groups that have been invited to stand on that big stage. It looks like a rock star stage, and say a few words, and I've been given four minutes. But that's a lot for all the people that are going to be speaking. And then the hope is I'm still trying to see if I can get a ticket to actually be in Congress when he speaks to that joint session. But each member of Congress was given one ticket. Mm. And I got in touch with my friend Nancy Pelosi and said, who are you giving your ticket to? (laughs) (laughs) And she's giving it to her husband, Paul. Yeah, yeah, it's tough to beat that. Probably, yeah. Switchboards are lighting up. Yeah, right. And probably a Catholic, not an Episcopal person, she would give that to. Yeah, the... um, the, uh, But Paul Fitzgerald, some people think that this moral frame is very important for social movements. Pope Francis has put climate change in a moral frame. How does that compare to other social movements and uh, what's the significance of that? If we think about the civil rights movement, if we think about all those movements that have animated this country, giving women the right to vote, um, it's been about asking the people who are in a position of power and authority, especially if, if they are a minority and, and hold lots and lots of power, to voluntarily give that power up, share it more broadly. And that willingness to seed control and to in, you know, enlarge the circle greatly um, takes courage, but it also takes, I think, some sort of transcendent inspiration. Um, there has to be this recognition that these folks who have been previously excluded because of their gender, their skin color, or nowadays because they live in the third world and, and are not at the table in the first world where the big decisions are made, um, that we recognize their humanity, and there's a certain shame in, our, in ourselves that we had denied their humanity so long. And that's why it's difficult, right? Because you know, when we enlarge the circle broadly and bring in people who had previously been excluded, it means that we had been in, in excluding and exclusive and unjust. And so I think it, there is a sense of conversion, a sense of repentance, and then a sense of liberation and even joy that comes through that cycle. Uh-huh. But I think the great social movements have involved, you know, both people on the outside asking to be in, but also people on the inside opening the door and saying, yes, we, it's not you and us, it's us, all of us. Sam Licardo, how do you translate that into um, action and in, in that kind of social movement into San Jose? You know, putting into action, I, I think, you know, the, the typical response of elected officials is to say, okay, let's go uh, pass an ordinance or a measure that's going to change something. Um, but, you know, the spirit of the encyclical, and I think going to, to Paul's point, is really that uh, this is something that the entire community has to engage in. And re- 
engaging a community is much harder work. And it requires uh, an awful lot of, uh, of opening up, certainly of education, uh, and also uh, admitting that you don't have all the answers. And that's a hard thing for elected leaders to do. So uh, we are, right now, uh, we, over the last several weeks, we've been spending some time talking internally about how can we meaningfully engage uh, the community in San Jose, uh, both in terms of behavioral change, but also about informing us about what might be a good path to, to follow as a community. Uh, do we, as a community, choose, for example, community choice aggregation for uh, deciding where our, our, um, our energy uh, should come from? Um, or perhaps do we choose a path that is um, uh, more determined by individual choices. Those are the kinds of things that uh, it takes a lot more work. And uh, it's usually not a recipe for electoral success, but I think it's, it's certainly something we all need to do. Sally Bingham, speaking of electoral uh, politics, how do you think Pope Francis changes the politics of climate in, in the United States? 30% of Congress is Catholic. I think there are 137 uh, Roman Catholics in the Republican Congress. So I'm very hopeful that if they really are faithful Catholics and that they believe in the infallibility of the Pope, which I guess some still do, they will take this to heart. And um, when you opened and talked about Rick Santorum saying that he doesn't listen to his Pope for his economics or his... Um, Jeb Bush doesn't listen to the Pope for economics. Right. Yeah. That, that perhaps it's time they did do that. And, but I do think that there will still remain the deniers who will dismiss the Pope because they don't want to go down the path of cutting our fossil fuel use. But I, I may be naively optimistic, but I, I think it's going to make a difference. I think he's already made such an enormous difference in saying in the encyclical that we needed to cut back on fossil fuels. And the entire... Green Group, the, the big secular environmental organizations are using Pope Francis now to make the changes or help make the changes that they've been preaching and teaching about for the last 25 years. And I think that, that he is he's, um, breaking a lot of boundaries. And, and I think that his message is, is going to seep through to enough people that we will see change. Is there a risk of breaking too many boundaries? We have this church and state thing in this country that, so you start to blend uh, faith and politics, that makes some people nervous. Sam Licaro? You know, if I could just, I, I don't think we have to blur those boundaries. I mean, the good news is, is that uh, the overwhelming preponderance of scientific expertise out there uh, just happens to agree with the church in this case. Uh, this is not the situation we say with Galileo. Uh, we're in a position now where, <laughs> where we've got a pope who's saying, look, we get the science, uh, now it's a moral issue for us. Uh, so I think the good news is we don't have to somehow or another blur those lines. I think we can appropriately say the scientific issue has been largely resolved. Mm -hmm. uh, now it's really a question for how we respond as a community. Paul Fitzgerald, uh, the way some states are responding is to divest from fossil fuels. The state of California is in the process of selling its coal uh, assets. Uh, divestment is a big issue on college campuses around the country, mainly focused on coal. It can move to oil. How about the University of San Francisco? Is divestment an issue there, and what is the school doing? Yeah, we have a, a $300 million, well, depending on the stock market, a $300 million endowment. <laughs> um, 
But, uh, you know, we have some investment in, in, in power in energy companies, but those are with great portfolios. And then, you know, we can do kind of activist um, shareholders and stuff to move them in the right direction. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we're also working very hard to, uh, to green our own campus. And so in, in, the, in the, the, the encyclical, towards the end of it, the Pope talks about these small, simple gestures that we can do on an everyday basis. You know, um, a person who adopts a, a small urban space, a, a, a fountain that's been let go, or, you know, someone who turns off the lights. And this, there are these really small gestures which become habits, which become then a, a praxis and an intentional way of living. So at the University of San Francisco, what we're trying to do is create a whole culture where as we graduate our students, they've gained this habitus, this, this habit of being environmentally very, very sensitive. And I hope they would choose then um, pathways that would make them change agents for the, for the better, inform citizens, um, going into the business world, going into public policy, going into science and healthcare, but looking for ways for us in every practical way uh, to lessen our, 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 our carbon footprint, but doing so always against this really broad picture of, well, what about the least advantaged human beings on the planet? And that's what the Pope, I think one of the nice things about this letter is that I think this is the first time in such a systemic way that, that a world thinker, a world leader, is linking climate change and the necessary changes in our behavior to care for the poor, the global poor. Sally Bingham, California has some leading uh, climate policies, and there's concern in this state that California's cap-and-trade will hurt the poor communities often of color in this state. And, and Pope Francis, in his encyclical, came out pretty hard against carbon trading and said basically it could be kind of a scam. Does that mean California should... Uh, rethink its carbon policies? No, I don't think so. And I don't think that the Pope was saying um, cap and trade is not a good system. I think what he's saying is that it has to be watched very carefully so that there isn't a lot of um, fudging of the allotment and where the money's going to go. Um, there's been talk that in Russia they have a cap and trade and it's been uh, abused and there's been difficulty on the, over what happens to the money when the when the carbon credits are traded Shocking. or sold. Yeah. And but here in California, the statistics are showing that it's actually working. And a great deal of the money that is being raised through the cap and trade is going back into poor communities. And that was part of the AB 32 was to make sure that, and I, I don't know the, the number, you may know that it's, it's, it's 3 to 5% of all the money raised, which is a substantial amount, goes back into low-income communities for adaptation, for subsidies for renewable energy, and um, if yep. they're going to have higher bills, um, it's going to help the, the uh, electrical bills for people in poor communities. And so I think what he's saying is, if you're going to use the market to do the right thing, or, or I think maybe that's his um, complaint, that people should do the right thing and not necessarily have to be making money to do it. <laughs> um, but if you're going to be making money and open up a market, then it's got to be watched very carefully that it isn't abused. Sam Ricardo, fossil fuel companies will often say fighting climate change will raise energy costs for low-income Americans. It will hurt the poor. Is that true? Can you fight climate and help the poor at the same time? 
Uh, I think you can fight the climate and help the poor, but it can still also be true that it's going to raise energy costs. And I think we have to have the courage to accept the fact that we've had really cheap energy in the United States for a very long time, particularly relative to other industrialized nations. Uh, and we could probably live with a little higher uh, energy costs in order to uh, reorient our economy. Uh, you know, I was disappointed that just uh, yesterday, I believe, a deal fell apart in Sacramento that would have elevated uh, gas price uh, taxes, believe it or not, just to pay for road repair. It wasn't like this was a, a really a dramatic leftist uh, uh, notion here. Uh, uh, but, but at the very least, we should be able to raise gas prices to pay for our infrastructure and hopefully to transform our infrastructure. There was a press conference a couple of years ago where the head of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and the head of the AFL-CIO came out in favor. Rare, those guys don't usually get together, but they came out in favor of an increase in the gas tax, and that went nowhere. People don't like higher energy prices. No, We're talking don't. about climate, and uh, Pope Francis was uh, the mayor of San Jose, Sam Licardo, Sally Bingham, president and founder of Interfaith Power and Light, and Paul Fitzgerald, president of the University of San Francisco. I'm Greg Dalton. We're going to go to audience questions in just a moment, but I want to ask each of you, when you think of climate and stewardship, is there a particular scripture that you think of, Paul, Paul Fitzgerald? Oh, I loved how Francis uh, quoted Matthew, you know, that uh, the lilies of the field and the, and the birds of the air, you know, are beautiful, and God knows each one of them and invites us to have that same sense of awe and wonder at the beauty of the world around us. Um, something that, 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 you know, as the climate has changed and as the Bay Area has developed, you know, it's further from us. It's further from me than it was 50 years ago in Los Gatos when birds and animals and nature seem so much closer and so much more available. It's a lost connection. Sally Bingham, a favorite passage? Yeah, my favorite is the first commandment, to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Because if you love your neighbor, you're conscious of how your behavior affects your neighbors. And for me, that's the, this, I expand the word neighbor beyond the person that lives next door or sitting next to me. Our neighbors are the next generation. Our neighbors are the flora and fauna and animals. And if we love our neighbors and operate out of love and understand that however we behave is affecting our neighbors, this is a wonderful scripture site for care for creation. Because creation is all of us, too. I mean, it's everything. And if we care about everything and treat everything as a neighbor and love it, it'll make a big difference. Sam Licardo? Hmm. Uh, I know I won't be quite as good at this as, as uh, my colleagues the here. professionals, yeah. <laughs> I've got two professionals right here. Play the big leagues here. Yeah, I, I just think about the Sermon on the Mount where, you know, blessed are the poor spirit, they shall inherit the earth. Uh, there's a certain connection uh, that, uh, that Pope Francis makes uh, between how we are treating the earth and how we are treating fellow human beings uh, and a connection that, the extent that those who are the poorest are most deeply impacted by environmental damage as well. Uh, and there's, I think that connection bears out as well in the sermon. We're talking about Pope Francis at Climate One. Uh, the Pope will be in the United States in just a few days and talking about his uh, climate crusade. I'm Greg Dalton. Let's go to our audience questions. Welcome to Climate One. Hi, this, is, uh, this comment and question is directed to you, Father Fitzgerald. Um, my name is Graham Smith. I'm a recent alumni of uh, USF with a theology and religious studies degree. Um, now that, as of yesterday, the whole UC system has divested 
its endowment from coal and tar sands, uh, joining Stanford and SF State, and California has divested its state pension from, from coal, joining the city of San Francisco. It seems like USF, uh, San Francisco's Jesuit University, is lagging behind a little bit. Um, so, so the question is when you're going to divest? So I'm happy to agree with you that you, the University of San Francisco will divest from coal and tar sands. And uh, we, we have a very small chunk of coal in one, in one instrument. And when that instrument matures, we'll be, we'll be done. So thank you. Let's have our next question. Welcome to Climate One. Thank you. A lot of my friends and family are climate deniers and say that when change happens, we'll do something about it then. Is it possible to talk with them further, or should I just give it up? <laughs> Who'd like to tackle that? Sam Licardo, you're in the I, trenches. A, yeah, you know, despite the veneer of being a politician, I'm a big believer in proselytizing. And I, I think uh, it is really important uh, to, to not give up. Uh, obviously, there is an artful way of doing it, and there's an irritating way of doing it. But I, I think it's uh, critical that, you know, if we're, we're going to have significant adaptive change around this very serious problem, it's going to take uh, education, and that happens not from the top down, but within a community, among all the community members. Sally Bingham, do you have anything to add to that, talking to deniers? I, I, I completely agree with Sam. I don't think we should ever give up. I think we need to talk about it as much as we can with friends, family, uh, politicians, um, even when they're deniers, without um, ending up in an argument. And, and, you know, the same things that we would be doing to address climate change are things we ought to be doing for the economics reasons anyway. Um, switching to renewable energy is going to create jobs and boost the economy. It's going to save our health and a lot of expense around the asthma and health reasons that people end up in the hospitals. Um, it's just a good thing all the way around, even if you don't think the climate is warming a whole new industrial revolution around clean energy is going to help the economy. One big area of resistance has been evangelical Christians. Is that changing? Are they softening? Many would say that uh, the climate is God's domain. Humans can't change it. It's blasphemy to say that. Is that still the case? The evangelicals are, are excellent on this subject now, and they came into it because they're, they're using the phrase that Jesus said, which is, what you do to the least of us, you do to me. Mm. And when they realize, and they do, that it's the poor people who are suffering the most, they are getting on board and helping out a lot with policy, with educating their own constituents, and, uh, and, and certainly, I think, making a big difference. We're talking about climate change and Pope Francis at Climate One with Sally Bingham, Paul Fitzgerald, and Sam Licardo. Let's go to our next question. This is a question for all three. Do you feel the, the rabbis, the ministers, the pastors on the ground at the local level of churches, do they have adequate knowledge and background in climate science to answer the questions of, of their, their parishioners and to you know, provide the right answers you know, to this, this complicated question? Sally Bingham, you deal with a lot of people. Take that first. Well, I think in many cases they don't have the answers. They don't understand the science. And it isn't because they're stupid. It's because when they were in seminary, nobody was studying environmental ethics. And they, they know how to be pastors and deal with emergencies within their congregations. 
but they don't know how to deal with the science of climate change. Now, I've always said to these folks, go to our website and get our sample sermons, where we have one in every denomination, or many in lots of denominations, but that you don't have to know the science of climate change to talk about the fact that we are the stewards of creation. And we are the people, God put Adam in the garden to till it and to keep it. And without having to go into how many parts per million of carbon are in the atmosphere, simply introducing the fact that you, as a person of faith in a pew, are called to care for this creation. Let's have our next question. Welcome to Climate One. I guess my question would be, when you do hear conservative preachers, conservative popes preach against climate change preaches against contraception, I feel like I really do hear the idea that there should be a separation between religious discussion and between politics and science, and that it seems to me that, to a certain extent, that it's opportunism and that this idea that he's on the right side now and that he's supporting the consensus, so it's okay to take it more seriously. But do you feel like there's a little bit of a hypocrisy there, that he is not an expert in the same way that the last pope wasn't an expert in contraception or climate change or any other issue, and that to sort of treat differently different religious leaders in terms of how valid their opinions are kind of has a... Sally Bingham, are we infatuated, dangerous infatuation with this pope? In danger of it, perhaps, but I think he is genuinely extremely popular, largely because of his humility and his care for the poor. And I think society is hungry for authenticity and honesty. And I believe that this pope is bringing that to society. And um, there, there, there's, I suppose, uh, the danger that he's some sort of superficial hero who's you know, coming in on the white horse to save us all. But I think he is. I, mean, I, 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 <laughs> I think it's important to point out, though, too, his poll numbers dropped considerably in the United States after the encyclical. Uh, some conservative Catholics perhaps were really? less enthusiastic about him. Paul Fitzgerald? Uh, also, just this thing about separation of church and state in the United States, it's very clear that it's about the government not restricting our religious freedom and the government not establishing one church and outlawing others, but the citizens of this country have always been encouraged to form their opinions about matters of public policy based upon their deeply held faith convictions. Uh, so, you know, religion gets to have a voice in public affairs. Government doesn't get to have a voice in church affairs. Sam Carter? Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly, and we have a Declaration of Independence to prove it. Uh, you know, we can't live our lives in a schizophrenic world in which we believe what we believe only on Sundays and the rest of the week, uh, then we're on our own. Uh, regardless whether you're conservative or liberal, I, I think uh, there has to be an integration of, of, of faith and action, and it seems to me uh, that's what this, this pope has captured. On uh, the pope's uh, poll numbers, I guess, okay, I never thought about that together, but yeah, the, the pope's poll numbers, uh, <laughs> Paul Fitzgerald, how much of the U.S. Catholic establishment that bishops are with him on, in his reform agenda and climate? Are they publicly supporting him and quietly opposing him? I think it was Stalin who asked, how, uh, how many divisions does the Pope have? <laughs> and uh, so now we're asking, you know, what's the Pope's uh, poll numbers? You know, <laughs> you know, fortunately, he only had to stand for election once. And, uh, <laughs> and now he's in for as long as he wants to stay. Um, 
I think that um, you know, in the United States, we have some bishops uh, who are very much uh, strongly in, in line with the Pope and teaching very actively. Others, I think, are a little more quiet. It goes back to a previous question, too. A hundred years, 75 years ago, at a typical Catholic Mass, the priest was the best educated guy in the room. At a typical parish today, the priest is below average in terms of his education and his sophistication. So... Even as we have a Francis who is just so Speak spectacular. Speak for yourself. Yeah. I, know. <laughs> <laughs> I, got a, I got a room temperature IQ and I'm happy with it. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, we have religious leaders who ask maybe pointed questions, but it's really important that the people in the pews, the, the lay folks who have expertise, the lay people who have experience, the lay people who, you know, in, in, at least in the Roman Catholic world, the clergy exists simply to serve the laity who themselves have the authority and the responsibility to change the social milieu. That's from the Second Vatican Council. The most important work that the Catholic Church does is change social structures to be more just, humane, and sustainable, and that is the responsibility of the laity. The clergy are just there to help. Paul Fitzgerald is president of the University of San Francisco. Let's go to our next question at Climate One. Hi, my name is... Noel Chrysostomo. I work in energy policy and I'm also a Catholic. So I'm having a troublesome time connecting and practicing pantheism and seeing God in particular people, specifically very powerful fossil fuel interests who have (laughs) acted against the principle of integral ecology that you described. And um, how do we engage as a community with that very powerful but very small minority uh, to act on climate. Paul Fitzgerald? Well, I I think Mayor Licardo is is probably better suited, but I would just say, you know, this kind of social change happens in the best way, in the most profound way, when we love our enemies. And we convert them by helping them to see that they need to care for their grandchildren, and they need to care about their great-grandchildren. You know, and so... This is part of Pope Francis's uh, critique of, of unbridled capitalism or, or thoughtless capitalism. You know, markets, markets didn't end slavery. Markets didn't end child labor. Markets didn't end unsafe working conditions. Communities, you know, intervene in the market based on deeply held values. Markets are great for distributing goods and services. And Catholic Church with Centesimus Anos, you know, we, we you know, fully support... The, the power of markets, but they need, they need folks like yourself who are going to put some, some moral structures around those markets so that they serve us rather than us becoming slaves uh, of, of these unbridled forces. Sally Bingham, can you forgive fossil fuel executives or can you love them? <laughs> <laughs> I can forgive them if they come to me for penance <laughs> and repentance, certainly, because they wouldn't come for absolution unless they realized they'd made a mistake. And if they come with a mistake in their hand, sure, I can forgive. Sam McCarthy? Uh Well, I'll stay away from the, the moral issue and go to the, the political one, which is how, how you, you confront a very powerful lobby. And and look, there's a lot of examples of history. I'm a big believer that the arc of history does bend toward justice. And, uh, you know, we know the tobacco lobby has been very powerful in this country for many years, but really through a public health campaign, ultimately, uh, people became educated 
about the dangers of tobacco and behavior shifted significantly. Uh, it wasn't top down, it was really a bottom up change in behavior. And I think uh, ultimately that's where we'll go, hopefully soon enough. Next question, welcome. My bottom line question is, can the value of proper actions related to climate preservation and improvement uh, be monetized to those money-oriented people who only look at it from the bottom line in terms of what does it mean to me financially? Has anyone tried to monetize it? I can jump in. Yeah, you know, I think the cap-and-trade system here in California is a good example of, obviously, many of us who believe in the need to take action on climate change believe in the importance of putting a price on carbon. Uh, and I know Pope Francis is suspicious uh, and has concerns about it, but I do believe that is an effective approach, and it's certainly working here in California. Um, and I think it is possible to move through the market. I don't think the, the market solves the more fundamental issue of the throwaway culture that I think Pope Francis is condemning that is at the root of all of this. But I, I do believe that we can at least address some of the symptoms that way. Let's go to our last question. Welcome. Yes, uh, I'm a graduate of the McLaren School of Business, so I'm coming here with a little bit more of an economic perspective. Well, my, my general question is, is uh, relating back to the idea of the spiritual sense that uh, you know, President Fitzgerald has said, is he said you know, he's, how do we get ourselves back to a point where we stop thinking about just looking at the bottom line money and start really begin to fill with our heart? How do we, how do we reconcile the thoughts with our heart? Paul Fitzgerald? I, you know, I spent a semester in Nairobi, Kenya, teaching, uh, and the Jesuit school there was right on the edge of the Kibera slum. Um, I, you know, I lived in Paris for three and a half years while I was doing my doctorate, and every weekend I was up in public housing projects north of Paris. You know, I've been in these communities of poorer people, um, the Pico Aliso housing projects in Los Angeles, East L.A., um, seven summers in a row. And, and oftentimes in these communities of poor people, I found more community <laughs> I found more bonds of, of just human care. You know, a woman who's taking care of the old man who lives across the hall, he's not related. He's not related, but somebody needs to care for him. Oftentimes, people who have very little, um, they have a great deal of love, and they have a great deal of connection to other human beings. And I think that Pope Francis is asking us to, to do that a bit. You know, let's care more about each other, and let's care more about the world, and let's find that we're happier doing that than chasing ever greater wealth and ever greater comfort. We have to end it there. We've been listening to Paul Fitzgerald, president of the University of San Francisco, Sam Licardo, mayor of San Jose, California, and Reverend Canon Sally Bingham, president and founder of Interfaith Power and Light. I'm Greg Dalton. I'd like to thank you all for listening here in the Commonwealth Club and online and on air. Thanks for joining us. Climate One is the sustainability initiative at the Commonwealth Club of California, a nonprofit and nonpartisan organization. I'm Greg Dalton, the executive producer and host. Jane Ann Chen is the producer, and Alyssa Kerr is our assistant producer. The audio engineer is John Rieger, with help from Will Llewellyn. The Commonwealth Club CEO is Dr. Gloria Duffy. Join us next week for a conversation about America's energy, economy, and environment. <laughs>